want you to turn, if you would, to Revelation chapter 8. Now, I wish like crazy we had the time to bring everybody up to speed with everything that's happened to this point in, in the book, but we have been now, when we get to chapter 8, we've been for the first time through the tribulation period. As we came through chapter 6, a seven-sealed book began to be opened, and as it was opened, God brought us through for the first time, the first of four times in the book of Revelation, he brought us through the tribulation period. Last week we concluded chapter 7, which forms a parenthesis that fits back into the, the context of chapter 6, into the, the tribulation period. But we've been in heaven now with the Apostle John for four chapters now. I want you to go back to chapter 4 for just a second and look at verse 1. One of the things that we have learned about heaven is that it's a noisy place. There's folks that are excited there. Man, I'm telling you, it was fun to be able to worship with you today. It, I mean, it ought to be a crime to go to church and have fun worshiping, you know? Remember the days when you come in and sing the songs and you're like, why don't we just get this junk over and let's get to the good stuff, you know? Then the good stuff, it didn't even come. But man, it, what, a, what a joy to be able to, to, to do that. We found that heaven is a noisy place. It begins in chapter 4 and verse 1 where it is this major trumpet blast and John is caught up into the the third heaven into the very throne room of God and what we noticed in chapter 4 is the whole theme of chapter 4 is that throne he keeps hammering the the throne the throne the throne and what we found is that 12 times in these 11 verses he mentions the throne and what we see going on in chapter 4 around this throne is continual praise and worship look in chapter 4 verse 8 we see the four beasts there, and they're lifting their voice, and they're saying, Holy, 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 Lord God Almighty. And it's continual. Look at it. It says that they rest not day and night. And we could go back to Isaiah chapter 6 and see the, the seraphim, who are very much connected to the four beasts that we see here. And way back when Isaiah was caught up like John was, comes into the throne room of God. You remember what he heard? Holy, 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 Lord God Almighty. The same exact thing that, that John hears. In verse 10 of chapter 4, we see the 24 elders and they fall down before Him and they worship and they're casting their crowns before Him and they're saying, Thou art worthy, O Lord, to receive glory and honor and power. For Thou hast created all things and for Thy pleasure they are and were created. And again, you're just consumed with this, this praise that is going on in heaven. In chapter 5, look in verse 8. The 24 elders see the Lamb, and they fall down again in worship. They begin to play on their harps. In verse 9, they sing a new song. And again, they're saying, Thou art worthy. Back in chapter 4 and verse 10, they're saying, You're worthy because you're the Creator chapter 5 and verse 9 you're saying you're worthy because you're the redeemer you shed your blood and allowed us this incredible privilege and then in verse 11 of chapter 5 John hears the voice of many angels and he says it was 10,000 times 10,000 and thousands of thousands that's a lot of folks y'all and, and I mean these angels are, are lifting 
their voice. Look at verse 12, saying with a loud voice, Worthy is the Lamb that was slain. And look in verse 13, Then every creature joins in the singing, Blessing and honor and glory and power be unto Him that sitteth upon the throne and unto the Lamb forever. Verse 14, And the four beasts said, Amen. And the four and twenty elders, Man, these, they just can't stay on their feet. They just keep falling down. And it says, And they worshipped Him that liveth forever and ever. And then in chapter 6, we came to the opening of the seals. And look in verse 9. And when he had opened the fifth seal, I saw under the altar the souls of them that were slain for the word of God and for the testimony which they held. And they cried, here it is again, with a loud voice saying, How long, O Lord, holy and true, dost thou not judge and avenge our blood on them that dwell on the earth? And then in chapter 7, where the 144,000 are sealed. You'll notice in verse 2 that an angel ascends out of the east and he cried with a loud voice. The 144,000 are sealed and we see in verse 9 a numberless multitude that are won to Christ by these 144,000 sealed Jews. Those out of every nation, every kindred and people and tongue, and verse 10 says, they cried with a loud voice, saying, Salvation to our God, which sitteth upon the throne, and unto the Lamb. And in verse 11, the angels hear it, and they're so blessed in verse 12. They say, just like the four beasts we saw in chapter 5, they say, Amen. And they start praising the Lord again. And when you get through all of that, and you, and you see this incredible decibel level that heaven has. I mean, everybody that lifts their voice, they do it with a loud voice. They can't contain themselves. I mean, it, it's just so full. And all this noise is going on now for four chapters. And then we come to chapter 8 and verse 1. And it says, And when he had opened the seventh seal, There was silence in heaven. And check this out. About the space of half an hour. I mean, can you imagine all of this praise and all of this worship and all of these loud voices all around the throne? And I mean, it just swells. It's like a... You know, you're at a concert, and here is the orchestra, and man, I mean, that guy is up there, and he's just working the thing, and it's loud, and he comes, and he just waits to hit that last note. And he waits for 30 minutes before he drops his arms, and bam, they hit that thing. I mean, 30 minutes, you know, it's a short time if, you know, you're doing some stuff. This 30 minutes here is an eternity. An absolute, total silence. And what a contrast to everything that we've seen to this point in the book of Revelation. I might also add that verse 1 of chapter 8 is also a proof text for the fact that there will be no women in heaven.
And all the men said, And I got to work you for that, amen. You guys are a sorry lot, man. Okay, now let's try to dig out of that. Ladies, I'm sorry, okay? I'm sorry, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. Now shut up! If you're a guest with us today, we even have fun when we come to church and we even kid around a little bit, so don't, don't get your fur all in an uproar, you know? We're just, just kidding. Kind of. But in chapter 6, as we were coming through the tribulation, I'm telling you, man, it was, it, it was intense. And, and you know what, what? What was going on in chapter 6 was really, it was just a panorama of the tribulation. I mean, you know what God was doing? He, he's just... He's just hitting the light stuff. And I mean, you remember, we were all freaked out coming through chapter 6. I mean, I, I don't know about y'all, man, I, I'm, I'm hanging on. And now we're getting ready to go into the tribulation for the second time. The first time, he brings us through the tribulation under the figure of seals. Now he opens that seventh seal, and in that seventh seal are seven trumpets. And now he's going to bring us through the tribulation period, through the figure of trumpets. And as he's doing it, it's no longer just the panorama. I mean, it, you thought chapter 6 was intense. This is going to be incredible as we begin to work our way through these, these seven trumpets. What we're going to see is that these seven trumpets basically represent that last three and a half year period of the tribulation that Jesus referred to as the Great Tribulation. And it's a period of time not only when man reaps the full harvest of his sin, but what we're going to see as these seven trumpets are opened, or, or begin to sound, what we're going to find is that the wrath of God begins to be unleashed. And it's as if all of heaven knows what's about to be taking place. And everybody is just totally freaked for a period of 30 minutes. They're, they're stopped. It's like they just gasp for a period of 30 minutes, and there is absolute silence. Look at verse 2. And I saw the seven angels which stood before God, and to them were given seven trumpets. And another angel came and stood at the altar, having a golden censer, and there was given unto him much incense, that he should offer it with the prayers of all saints upon the golden altar which was before the throne. The smoke of the incense which came with the prayers of the saints ascended up before God out of the angel's hand. And the angel took the censer and filled it with fire of the altar and cast it into the earth. And there were voices, and thunderings, and lightnings, and an earthquake. Now, what we've been doing for, you can see at the top of your study sheet now, it, it, it's been almost a year now, 50 weeks. We've, we've been working our way to get through the book of Revelation, and it's been very doctrinal. I mean, I, I've been trying to go through this thing and, and, and give you the, the doctrine, give you the chronology. And I mean, we've taken our time. We, we wanted to make sure that we understood this, this key book, especially 
during this period of time that we're living in, believing that we are living right at the threshold of these events beginning to, to take place on this, this planet. And, and we've just been, we, we just go to it and there's been an, an intensity. But today, and especially I guess with the beginning of our, our spring Bible conference, today actually I guess begins it. Uh, in the morning, this morning you get the second or third string. Tonight the first string's coming in to start this thing. But rather than going through this like like we normally do, now we're going to do it next week. We're we're going to approach this passage just like we always do. We're going to set the chronology. We're, we're going to go back into the Old Testament. We're going to show you where all this stuff comes from. But as we are coming into our spring Bible conference, and as I began to study this passage this week, just knowing where our church is, I believe that there is something that the Lord is wanting to teach us very specifically as a church. I think there's a very personal application that He has for us. And so that we understand it, I want to take the time to, to at least give you an overview of what is really taking place in, in this, these first five verses. What you have here, now make sure that you get this, because everything that we're going to see this morning is going to be built on this foundation. But what we have here in Revelation chapter 8, verses 1 through 5, is exactly what God spelled out in type for us in the Old Testament. You'll remember back in the Old Testament, in the book of Exodus, that God gave Moses some very specific instructions about something that he wanted him to build. It was the tabernacle. And that was a, such a, an important thing to God. He says in Exodus chapter 25 and verse 22, he says, this is the place where I want to meet with you. And I'm telling you, if you ever get to the point to where that becomes a common thought to you, the fact that the holy God, creator God of the universe, wants to meet with sinful man. I mean, that is just an absolute incredible thing. And, and this, is the, this is the tabernacle. This is the place where God would meet with, with man. And in that tabernacle, which would later become the temple, and, and most of you have studied this uh, somewhere along the way, there was an outer court. And then within that outer court, there, as you moved a little deeper in, there was the holy place. And then further in, beyond the veil, was this very, very key place called what? the Holy of Holies. And the Holy of Holies was where the Ark of the Covenant was. And the Ark of the Covenant represented or, or symbolized the actual dwelling place of God. The Ark of the Covenant was God's abode in the midst of that tabernacle. Now, back outside of the Holy of Holies, in the holy place, there were two altars. One of the altars was called the altar of brass, and this is where the offerings for sin would be sacrificed, symbolizing God's judgment. And then there was also a golden altar. That golden altar is also called in the Old Testament the altar of incense. And upon that altar of incense, obviously incense would be burned. 
And what would happen as it would be burned is the, the smoke would, would fill that holy place and you could smell it. There would be this sweet aroma. And once that aroma had permeated that holy place, it would pass through the veil and into the Holy of Holies where the Ark of the Covenant was found. And obviously, that incense represented the privilege of communion, the privilege of fellowship with God. It pictures the prayers of the saints coming before God. David said in Psalm 141 and verse 2, he said, Let my prayer be set forth before thee as incense. And that prayer would come. That incense would burn, representing the prayers of the saints. And, and I know it's hard for you to fathom because you're not God. And it's hard for me to fathom because I'm not God. But I'm telling you, it was just something incredibly sweet about that smell as it came up into the nostrils of God. But you've got to understand this, y'all. All of that that we just talked about there, that took place in that tabernacle, it was all just a picture. It was just a picture. There is a reality that it's a picture of. And it's a reality of something that is in heaven. The book of Hebrews teaches us that that Old Testament tabernacle was simply a shadow. It was simply a type. It was, it was simply a picture of something that really, literally existed in heaven. What God did in Exodus 25 when He came down to Moses and He started talking about this tabernacle is He says, Moses, what I want you to do is I want you to build a miniature replica of what's up here. I, I want it to just be a, a, a type of what, what is here because I, I want to teach you some things through all of this. Now, now listen, that's not hard stuff to understand, right? But don't miss this. The reality is exactly what we're seeing right here in Revelation chapter 8. Everything that I just described for you of what would take place in the tabernacle, it's exactly what we see taking place right here in Revelation chapter 8. This scene takes place in the third heaven in the abode of God. And you see at the end of verse 3, the golden altar. You know, I mean, you've seen the picture, right? We just talked about it. You've seen it in the Old Testament a zillion times. You know, the golden altar. It's the place, it's the altar of incense, remember? It's, it's the place where the, the incense was offered. And, and note this that in the reality that we're seeing here in Revelation chapter 8, did you notice, though there is the golden altar, though there is, just like in that tabernacle, in the picture, that there is the altar of incense, but did you notice that in the reality, there's no Ark of the Covenant found here? You know why? 
in the reality, it's the throne of God. It's the throne. It's the place where God dwelt. And notice verse 3, that the angel came and stood at the altar having a golden censer. Okay? It's, it, it's just a, a golden vessel. It's where the incense would be placed. A golden censer in there was given unto him much incense that he should offer it with the prayers of all saints upon the golden altar which was before the throne. Verse 4, And the smoke of the incense which came with the prayers of the saints ascended up before God out of the angel's hand. And just like we saw in the picture, in heaven... And notice that it says the prayers of all saints. Okay, the church age saints. And the tribulation saints. Those prayers are being held in that the golden censer. And they're burned in heaven at this period of time. They're burned in heaven as incense. And the prayers of all saints, they come up before God. savor in his nostrils and we know what these prayers are you know how we know what they are because we see what happens when they're answered what is the very first request that Jesus taught us in this age that we are to be praying for the very first request our Father, which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Oh, Father, I pray for your kingdom to come. You know what the prayer of our heart is in this age, y'all? It's for God to get the glory on this planet that he deserves. Because he hasn't gotten it for a period of 6,000 years now. And he's saying, listen, what I want you to do, what I want you to have in your heart is what, what I have in my heart. That time, when I come back to this planet, I set up my throne in Jerusalem, and I get the glory as every knee bow and every tongue confesses that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. He says, now pray that, would you? Just keep that in the forefront of your thinking. Pray for that. The tribulation saints, we, we saw what they're praying for back in chapter 6, didn't we? Verse 10. Oh, Lord... How long? How long, holy and true, dost thou not judge and avenge our blood on them that dwell on the earth? Their prayer is a prayer for justice. We pray for glory. Be glorified, Lord. Come and set up your kingdom. They say, be justified, Lord, and avenge their blood. Come back and set up your kingdom. And those prayers being held in that golden censer. And at this period of time, they're offered up. And it says that they ascend and they come into the nostrils of God as a sweet aroma. And as they ascend up, the prayer is answered in verse 5. Now check this out. 
when he answers it, the world is never the same. You tracking with him? In verse 5, the angel took the censer and filled it with fire of the altar and cast it unto the earth. You see, the, the prayers of, of all saints, they're coming back down. They're being answered. I mean, they're, they're being answered, and as they're answered, it just totally rocks this world. Look at what it says. The angel took the censer and filled it with fire up there and cast it under the earth, and there were voices and thunderings and lightnings and an earthquake. You know what's happening? The kingdom's coming. Justin, justice is being settled. And as it is, the earth is never the same. All right. There's the overview. Now, next week, we'll go into detail on all of that, okay? But as I'm studying this week, and I'm, I'm you know, I'm, I'm trying to... It's not hard to understand the Bible. I'll just tell you, the job of a preacher, sometimes it's hard to know why you're supposed to preach it. You know? This is a church, and God's taken us somewhere. And so every week, it's not just a matter of, oh, this is what it says, y'all, deal with it. It's why, why are we supposed to preach this? What's going on? And man, I'm just telling you... As I'm seeing this, I felt that there was something that God was wanting to say very specifically to our church about this 30 minutes of silence in heaven that changes the world. You know, I felt like what God was saying is... Every single day, we need to be spending 30 minutes of silence in heaven so that God can take our prayers and change the world, the world where we're living. You know, folks, we're, we're a blessed church. We're a real blessed church. And you know what? One of the easiest things to do in the midst of, of blessing is to, to get so caught up counting the blessings. You know what I'm talking about? You just, oh my goodness, man, we're just counting them. And, and you know what? It's a buzz around here, man. God's at work because we've been blessed. And it's real easy while you're being blessed to be just rejoicing about the blessing. But you know, as these blessings, you've got to start organizing those blessings, you know? So we're busy and we're organizing and we've got to categorize all this stuff. And, and you know what we end up doing? We begin to move away from the very thing that caused us to be blessed. Because we're so busy with the blessings. It's weird, isn't it? You know, I, I can take you back to a, a time not, not, not too long ago when nobody in this church had been discipled. If somebody would have asked you that, you would have said, I, I'm not real sure I understand what that means. 
I can take you back to a period of time not too long ago where nobody in this trip ever understood what it was to, to touch foreign soil with an open Bible and know what to do with it once you got there. I can take you back a few years ago where we didn't really... I mean, we would have read the Bible and did the best we could. But I can take you back just a few years ago where we really didn't even know how to, to study the Bible for ourselves so that we could go to it and we could open that thing and, and begin to compare Scripture with Scripture and begin to understand it. I can take you back and we've never been through the book of Colossians, never been through the book of Philemon, never been through the book of First John, Second John, Third John, never been through First Thessalonians or Second Thessalonians or Judges, Joshua, Ruth, to take you back to a period of time where we didn't know the landmarks of history. We didn't understand where we came from. And so we didn't know where we were going. To take you back to a period of time where there wasn't a soul in the balcony. To take you back to where we weren't moving cars off the lot to, to get people here. I, I can take you back to where we didn't know 10% of what we know now. But I can take you back. About eight, nine years ago, so, some of you obviously are new since then, but, but now listen, because this is just as much for you. I can take you back eight or nine years ago, where though all of those things may not have been true, I can take you back to a group of people who knew what it was every single day, not because anybody was twisting your arm, not because there was some legalistic standard that we had set up that you've got to do this to be holy. I can take you back to a period of time where the people of this church, every single morning, were coming before God a great while before day. And they'd pray. Not just requesting the blessings of the Lord, but ministering to Him. You know what we were? We couldn't have said it doctrinally. We were a sweet smell in the nostrils of God every morning because we came to Him and there was silence. We communed with God. We fellowshiped with God. I mean, that was, that was the heartbeat of this place. Now let me ask you, and I'm, I'm promising you, I'm not trying to guilt trip you. How long has it been since you've spent at least a, a solid 30 minutes in absolute silence before God? I'm not talking about with your Bible open. N not that I'm minimizing an open Bible, for God's sake, no. But I, I mean, in the midst of all your learning, 
and in the midst of all that you're studying, and in the midst of all that you're memorizing, and in the midst of all the people that you're discipling, and with all that you're giving, and all that you're serving, how's your prayer life? You know what? The thing that got us where we are this morning was those moments of silence with God. And we didn't know Jack. But you know what God did? He smelled that and said, oh, goodness, that's sweet. He began to throw our prayers back down. You know what he did? He just started sending the right people at the right time to just begin to rock our world in this church, didn't he? And you know what? We ain't never been the same. We, we, we found out what our mission was, man. We, we used to think it was showing up here and being good doobies, you know? We know what our mission is, is now. But if we're not careful, if we're not real careful, church, we're going to be in trouble. And we're not even going to be able to figure it out. Somebody would be looking back at this church. Remember that? Remember the days, the good old days? What ha- ever happened? What happened in that place? I- I'll-, I'll tell you what it is. Now, it'll-, it'll come in 10 trillion different avenues. But the reason it's going to come is because we don't pray. We're just busy. Busy for God. Look on your study sheet. You know, it's weird. It's just absolutely weird, man. The hardest exercise in the Christian life. I mean, you know, to read the Bible, that's cool. Study the Bible, man, we got the handles from that, from Jeff Adams, or how to study the Bible, and buddy, man, we've just, yeah, right, right, we got that, man, that's fun, real cool. Witness, that, that's cool, we're praying for doors of utterance to be opened. Mission trip, oh, great. Serve the Lord, man, great. Disciple someone, who's next? But to pray, oh my, to pray. And again, this isn't characteristic of the way that we do things around here. But I just began to think, in light of what we see in this passage, with, with what this means to God, why is it that this is such a difficult thing for us to do? And so we're going to look this morning at the top six reasons Christians don't pray. I wanted to do ten, but I also wanted to eat lunch. <laughs> Maybe dinner, I don't know. Number six, here it is. Number six. The reason we don't pray is we don't understand God's desire to fellowship with us. We just don't comprehend the desire of God. To fellowship with us. 
And, and I, I, we're not going to be, oh man, we're going to have to cruise to be able to, to get, get through all of this. But oh, listen, would you please this morning just kind of settle your heart just a little bit and be saying, oh God, do something in me. Change my heart. Would, would you do that while, while we're going through? Don't, don't just get caught up in filling in your little notes and all of that. Let's see if we can understand what's in the heart of God for fellowship. We walk into the garden, Adam, in the garden. And what we see there in Genesis chapter 3 and verse 8 is in the cool of the day. Here comes God. It says, the voice of God walked in the garden. You ever seen a voice walk? Voices don't walk, do they? That is, unless that voice is a person. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Who's the voice of God? The Word of God, the Lord Jesus Christ. And you know what he's doing in Genesis chapter 3 and verse 8? He comes down into the garden and he says, I want to walk with you. I just want to walk with you. And here you've got God coming down into this garden with, with His creation. This man and this woman. and They're just hanging out. They're just walking together. And I want you to see this one. Go to Exodus 24. This ties with my favorite verse in the Bible. The other one, Song of Solomon 2.6, where it says, His left hand is under my head, and with his right arm he doth embrace me. But this one is a close second, or at least tied for first. Exodus chapter 24 and verse 12. And, and at this point, God's getting ready to give Moses the Ten Commandments. But look at what he says, And the Lord said unto Moses, Come up to me into the mountain, because I want to give you these Ten Commandments. Check it out. Come up to me into the mountain and be there. Moses, I, I, I want to give you these Ten Commandments. But you know what? Before we do all that, I, I want you to just come up. I just want you to be with me. Would you do that? I just want you to be with me. Do you ever hear God giving you that invitation? The alarm goes off. <laughs> Don't you hate it? But man, what a joy it would be if somehow we'd get to the point to where that alarm going off. That's God's call. God's invite me to, to be with him this morning. He's saying, hey, I, I want you to come apart from the rest of the world. I want you to come up into this mountain, and I just want you to be with me. I just want to go into the garden of your life, and I want to walk with you. In Ezekiel chapter 3 and verse 22, he, he says, to, same deal, you don't have to turn there. But he says to Ezekiel, he says, Ezekiel, I, I want you to go out into the plain. And when you get there, I want to talk with you. 
Why didn't you just talk to him then? Wanted to get him apart. So we could talk with him. Isaiah talked about coming into the chambers and shutting the door. Shutting the door to the world and everything that's out there. Just closing the door. Because God wants to be alone with us. I want to be alone with you. And then we see so beautifully pictured the son of David, Solomon, in Song of Solomon, chapter 7, verses 11 and 12. He has a love relationship with a Gentile bride, Shulamite, Shulamite woman. And you know what the invitation is? To come to the field. Because I want to be intimate with you. Hey, y'all. I, I, I think we'd start praying a little more if we just really understood the desire that God has in His heart to walk with to be with us, to talk with us, to be alone with us, to share intimacy with us. And we see here in Revelation chapter 8, go over there again, Revelation chapter 8 and verse 4, and he says that our prayers are like incense. You know what it is? It's the desire of God to fellowship with us in, in prayer. And, and, and guys... Could you see this this morning? In light of all of these things that God is showing us about His desire to be with us, please th think with me. What must it be to the heart of God when we approach prayer as a ball and chain, as a duty, as... I'll tell you what, the hard thing I have to do is pray. We, we, you know what? We throw that around. We, we say that stuff. hardest thing I have to do is pray. And, and we throw that around like that's nothing. Almost as if God doesn't hear that. Or that God doesn't know that. Here, here's my wife down here. I want you guys to know this. I love my wife. I just, I just can't stand to spend time with her. Now, she understands that. You don't have to worry. You don't have to be uncomfortable. She understands that. You think, you think she's going to understand that? I don't. I mean, I could never understand that. So why in the world do we think, I hate to pray, but God understands. I don't think He does. I don't think that He understands that, that whole deal. And oh guys, listen, we can't ever forget. Every single morning, God's given us an invitation to walk with Him, to be with Him, to talk with Him, to be alone with Him, to share intimacy with Him, and for us to bless His nostrils as we come to Him in prayer. Next reason Christians don't pray is we don't understand 
the difficulty of having solitude and silence. We don't understand the difficulty of having solitude and silence. You know what? We're like, when it comes to this, this thing of, of, of getting alone with God, we're, we're like little kids with naps. You ever have your kid, you know, when your kids are just toddling around, you know, you ever have them right after lunch say, it's time for my nap. I mean, it's a, it's a bloody knock-down drag-out, man. You're going to take a nap! You know, I'm going to go nuts, you know. I mean, that's, that's a, and we know they need this so bad. Really, I know we do, but, but they need it really bad. I'm serious, don't they? They need it. just like us when it comes to that solitude, that silence before God. We fight it like the dickens. I mean, we'll find everything under the sun to do before we do that. Oh, folks, if we're going to, if we're ever going to get where God's wanting to take us as a church, I'm telling you, it's because, it's going to be because people of this church spend time in solitude before God. And now listen, I'm not talking about a little 12 second pit stop where you get in, you know, and get a quick fix before you re-enter the race. I'm talking about getting alone in absolute solitude before God where the Holy Spirit of God begins to fuel us for ministry. You know what? It's real easy to get to the point to where you you learn how to act the part. You know how to say the words and you know how to keep the activity going long after you've run out of Holy Spirit fuel. And we kick into a gear to where we're saying all the right stuff. And it's absolutely doctrinally impeccable. And it's even, it's even pretty eloquent. (laughs) But it's hollow. And we know it. We know it. We know it when it's coming out of our mouth. It's, it's, it's all correct. But it's not who we are. It's what we know. And you see, you get the fuel. And the only way that I know biblically to get that fuel from the Holy Spirit of God is in solitude. Would you go back to Mark chapter 6 for a minute? Mark chapter 6, and look at verse 7. 
and he, that's Jesus, and he called unto him the twelve and began to send them forth two by two and gave them power over unclean spirits. You know what he's doing? Here is the twelve disciples and they're going to become the twelve apostles at this point because he's sending them forth. Apostle meaning sent one. He's sending them out. He gives them the power. In verse 8, he commanded them that they should take nothing for their journey, save only a staff, nor script, no bread, no money in their purse, but be shod with the sandals and not put on two coats. And he's, he's sending them out to minister. Okay, so what you've got for the rest of the chapter is they're out ministering. And check it out, verse 30. And the apostles gathered themselves together unto Jesus and told him all things, both what they had done and what they had taught. Okay, now, now check this out. You see this? He sends them out, and they go out and they do all this stuff, man. And they're pretty buzzed about what they've done and what they've taught. And so they're, they're coming back, and here's all these 12 guys, and they're just... And then, you know what we did then? And they're like a bunch of little kids. And then, you know what? And then we did this, and then we did that, and you know what? I did this, and, we, you know, and they're just... Busy, busy, busy. Oh man, this was the coolest thing in the world. Verse 31, And he said unto them, Come ye yourselves apart into a desert place and rest a while. Y'all need to chill. For there were many coming and going, and they had no leisure so much as to eat. They're just busy, busy, busy in the work of the Lord, man, and they're just going for it, and they're so excited about all of it. But he realizes that if they don't stop to get refueled, they're going to be in their flesh, carrying out the work of God. And they departed, verse 32, into a desert place by ship privately. I don't know just what it was. Maybe a look on their face. Maybe it's because he's God. They're all on this buzz. And I'm sure Jesus was thrilled. But he said, you know what? We've got to get them apart. These guys, they need to chill. They need the solitude. Now, now I'm, not, I'm not saying, y'all, stop all this studying that you're doing. Stop all this discipling. Stop all these missions trips you're going on. I, I'm, not, I'm not telling you that. I'm just telling you. I feel like what God's saying to this church is, don't miss those moments of solitude, or you're going to find yourself doing all kind of real neat things in the power of the flesh, and we're going to wake up one day going, wow, what happened? This stinks. Go, go over to First Samuel, chapter thirty. Now, the, the context here. This is David that we're going to be looking at. This is before David became the king of Israel, and he and his men have been out in Philistine territory. Now they're on their way back home, a, a three-day journey back to Ziklag. When they come back, what they find is that the Amalekites have come in and they've just absolutely raided their village. They burned it to the ground and they've kidnapped their wives 
and their children. Now, sometimes we read stories like that and these people aren't real. I'm just telling you. You know how those guys felt? Same exact way you'd feel. If men, we went on a men's retreat and we come back on Sunday morning to find out somebody's gone into every one of our homes while we were gone and absolutely burned them out and took our wives and our kids. That, that's what they felt like. Look at verse 1. And it came to pass when David and his men were come to Ziklag on the third day, it's taken them three days to get back home, that the Amalekites had invaded the south and Ziklag and smitten Ziklag and burned it with fire and had taken the women captives that were therein. They slew not any, either great or small, but carried them away and went on their way. So David and his men came to the city and behold, it was burned with fire and their wives and their sons and their daughters were taken captives. Then David and the people that were with him lifted up their voice and wept until they had no more power to weep. I'm telling you, that would be me, wouldn't it, you men? And David's two wives were taken captives, Ahinoam and the the Jezreelitess, and Abigail, the wife of Nabal the Carmelite. And David was greatly distressed. Okay, now check this out. He's got all of this pressure. Because here he is leading these, these troops, and they come back, and after, I mean, he's the leader, you know. And this is what's taken place. He's been on the run because Saul is, is, is trying to kill him at this period of time. I mean, the man is under some major, major stress, and on top of that, check it out, the people spake of stoning him. Because the soul of all the people was grieved every man for his sons and for his daughters. You know what they're saying? You know what? We ought to kill that sucker because it's because of him we were gone. And buddy, you know what? Somebody, we need to just deal with this guy. I'm just telling you, buddy, if you're David at this point, wow, you're wiped. But you're still God's man. So what do you do? you better find you some solitude. But David encouraged himself in the Lord, his God. You know what? That's what happens to you when you get along with God in solitude. You encourage yourself in the Lord. You know why some of you are so stressed and so wiped out spiritually? You come into this building every Sunday just waiting for somebody to encourage you. And you walk out and nobody encouraged you. And you get all bummed and more stressed. You know what you need? looking for somebody to stroke you somebody to pat you somebody to encourage you I hope you get encouraged when you're here sermons like this don't help I understand but in solitude we find the strength that we need to face the stress that we face in these last days 
And David is a man majorly distressed. And he wasn't going to find his encouragement in anybody else. They want to kill him. So he got alone with God. And you know what? God encouraged him. God helped him. I'm telling you, before you get your back up against the wall, that, that 30 minutes of solitude every day, it's where you get the fuel to do everything that God has commanded you to be doing. And I'm telling you, if you're going to do everything that God tells you to do, hold down your job, disciple, pray, study the Word of God, witness, go on missions trips, you know what? That can be pretty stressful if you don't have any fuel. You know, if a car has got fuel, <laughs> you just cruise, baby. But when you run out of gas, you know, <laughs> you open that car door, That's tough, man. And some of you spiritually. You're going like this and you're like, I don't know how these people do this. You know how they do it? It's fuel. It comes from getting alone with God. Some of you get nervous because... You're saying that we're on the first or second point right now, aren't you? Now just 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 chill, okay? I I can tell you already, we ain't gonna make it. <laughs> but but turn over to First Thessalonians chapter four. I, I'm just telling you that what we're talking about here, God knows, God knows that this is not an easy thing. It's, it's difficult. Uh, you know what our problem is? We don't know how difficult it is. And you know what? We, we live on a, on a guilt trip about half the time because we just can't figure out why we just can't build this into our life. You know why we can't? It's tough. It's really tough. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, and I, I mean, I marvel at this. Check this out. But as touching brotherly love, you need not that I write unto you for yourselves are taught of God to love one another. You know what? He says, you know what? On this thing of loving one another, don't even need to write anything y'all doing. Just a fine job with it, and God's going to teach you that just fine. I don't even need to go into detail on that, but now check out verse 11. But buddy, you've got to study to be quiet. You know what? We say the exact opposite, don't we? We say, wow, it is just so hard to love people. Don't they drive you nuts? I'm telling you, man, they're about to drive me insane. And we look at being quiet and we say, huh, what's so hard about that? You better get God's perspective on it. He says, listen, if you, if you want to know what's tough, it's tough. To get quiet, you gotta you gotta study in order to do that. And he's not talking about you know study as in like you gotta study the, the Bible. He's talking about striving. He's talking about laboring. In, in fact, 
the word study there is translated strive in Romans 15.20. It's translated labor in 2 Corinthians chapter 5 and verse 9. Strive to be quiet, he's saying. Labor to be quiet. And first of all, look at your, your study sheet. It's difficult in these last days that we're living in, folks. Listen, it's difficult, first of all, to find quiet. I mean, we live in an age of noise pollution. I mean, back when Paul wrote this, there was no such thing as a lawnmower, an airplane, an automobile, a train, or anything else. Buddy, you know what? Just check it out in your house. It's real tough to find quiet. And as soon as you think it's quiet, you know what you're going to hear? You're going to hear the hum of the refrigerator over there. Or the air conditioning is going to kick on. The heat's going to kick on. I'm telling you, it's just, it's tough in these days that we're living in to find quiet. But, but I do want to remind you that when God speaks, it's not an earthquake. It's not a fire. It's a still, small, So you better find some quiet. Next, and I, I, let me just throw this in here. In Mark chapter one, verse thirty-five, it, it said that in the morning, rising a great while before day, Jesus got alone and prayed. And you know what, guys? If you're going to find quiet, the fact of the matter is, you're going to have to get up a great while before day. That's why it ain't easy. I'm just not a morning person. Who is? You know, Jesus is up early because I'm a morning person. No. You become a morning person out of necessity. Because it's the only time you can find quiet and solitude. And, and I found that the key to getting up a great while before day is going to bed a great while before midnight. <laughs> you know what? Some of y'all... You surf all night long, man! And then at 5 o'clock in the morning, you're like, I don't know how these people get up at 5 in the morning. You, you just went to bed for crying out loud. No wonder you can't get up, man. And then next, it's difficult to get quiet. It's difficult to get quiet. You know why it's hard to get quiet? Because we're always in a hurry. And you know what we've got? We've got a noisy life inside. You know what, when you're in a hurry, you know what I'm talking about? You're rushing around on Sunday morning to get to church. <laughs> it's loud inside, isn't it? It's, it's noisy. And, and you know, you can check it out. Now, I, I've, I've got to tell you, I, I'm in a hurry a lot. But when you look at the life of Jesus, what, what you find out is, though he always was moving, he was never in a hurry. 
he had a quiet life on the inside. And then next, it's, it's difficult to want quiet. You know what? We've created an appetite for noise. We get into the car. First thing we do, what? Pop on the tape. I'm not saying listen to Christian music. I'm not saying that's wrong. I'm just telling you. It's never quiet. We come in the house. First thing you do, turn the TV. Got to have some noise. Now, I remember when I first got, or before I got saved, I, I literally could not go to bed if it was quiet. And so I used to go to bed with the Beatles playing, you know. Something to have some noise. We're addicted. We're addicted to noise. And we wonder why it is we got no fuel. We're never quiet. So he says, you've got to study. And then it's difficult, it's difficult to, to be quiet. You know what? We like to hear ourselves talk. We like to be around people. And we like to talk. And that's what's... Just check it out sometime when you're with a bunch of folks. Everybody's talking. Nobody's listening. Everybody just wants to talk. And so what God says is, listen, you've got you to gotta study to be quiet. You've you got you to gotta strive to do this thing. You've got to labor at this thing. And my favorite point was this next one. And you're going to have to come back next week in order to get it. But, yeah, go ahead, close up shop on me. I, I, I don't mind. Go, go ahead, really. <laughs> let's get all that out of the way and then let's, let's talk for just a sec. Oh, Pastor Mark, I, I, I like it better when we're, you know, we're busting the book of Revelation and we're doing all this stuff. You know, I mean, this is, this is kid stuff we're talking about here today. Listen, okay, y'all need to pack up quicker than that. <laughs> Good night, it took you 30 minutes. No wonder you can't find quiet. It takes you 30 minutes to pack up your Bible. Just kidding. Yeah, this is, this is the kid's stuff. I, I know that. I, I know it. But this, this is nuts and bolts of who we are. And, and we didn't we didn't ex- exhaust this by any stretch today. Uh, and I, I just you know what I feel like I feel like the Lord's just saying, "Hey, church, Spring Bible Conference. It's just a it's a good time for y'all to get your hearts right." And, and man, Jeff's going to come tonight, and he's gonna he's gonna he's gonna rock your world. I'm just telling you, we're going to have the time of our life the next three days. We're going to have a big time. But oh, can I challenge you. Tomorrow morning, let that alarm clock be something different than a nuisance to you. When you set that clock, set it with God in mind. What time do I need to get up to spend... I, I don't care how much time you're going to spend 
reading the Bible. I don't care how much time you're going to spend studying the Bible. I don't care how much time you're going to work on Psalm 119 in preparation for your class or whatever class you're, you're studying for. I, I, it doesn't matter. What, what time do you need to set it for? To just come into the presence of God. To be a sweet-smelling savor in His nostrils. Where you, you come apart and you're in absolute solitude and stillness before Him. He, he says, be still and know that I'm God. It's a command with a promise. Be still. You're commanded. And the promise is, you'll know Him. But if you're not still, you'll probably end up finding that you know a lot of things about the Bible. But you don't know God. Be still and know that I am God. And I want to challenge you. Not, not as a, well... Now we all got to do our legalistic 30 minutes of silence. Okay. You know what? 30 minutes is, it just happens to be what we saw here. 30 minutes of silence. And you know what some of you are going to find out? That 30 minutes that, man, that's an eternity. I've never prayed that long. Some of you find out that that 30 minutes is, it doesn't quite cut it. Got to set that thing a little further back. But but let's all let's all start. It, you know, it's kind of like giving. You know, you kind of throw 10% out there as kind of a guide. Not a legalistic standard, just a guide to start in place. 30 minutes, not a legalistic standard, start in place where we just come before God and we're with Him. We hang out with God. We talk to God. He talks to us. Now, if you're here this morning and you've never received Jesus Christ as your personal Savior, you know... I recognize today that this, you know, we've not preached to your particular need of receiving Christ, though you do have an incredible need to receive Christ, because the Bible says our sin has separated us from God. But did you catch the heart of God this morning? The God of this universe, He wants to walk with you. He wants to be with you. He wants to talk with you. He wants to be alone with you. He wants to fellowship with you. But you see, your sin won't allow Him to do that. His justice won't allow Him to be with you right now, but His love caused Him to come to this planet and die on the cross to take your sin so He could be with you. And today, that can happen in your life. The Lord Jesus Christ could take residence inside of you spiritually. 
And spiritually, you can take residence inside of God himself. And you see, that's what, that's what this whole thing of life is really all about. Knowing God, walking with God. And we would love to be able to show you today from the Word of God how you can enter into that personal love relationship with God. And this morning, if you've sat here and, and you've listened, and as you have, the God of this universe has been speaking to your heart and saying, you know what, that's why I brought you to this room today, because I want to meet you, and I want to fellowship with you. If God has spoken to your heart this morning, why don't you come and just talk to one of our pastors. Nobody's going to coerce you to do anything, make you pray anything. Nobody's going to put you on the spot. But if God is speaking to you, why not come and just at least find out how you can meet God personally this morning. Let's bow our heads together and... As folks are in this room right now contemplating the decision they need to, to make as far as their life is concerned, can, uh, as far as responding to the invitation of God to a accept Him, I, I just wonder if, if we couldn't spend a few minutes together as a church and you just talk to God about about your prayer life. I don't, know, I don't know what it's like. Some of you, man, maybe for some of you guys, maybe 30 minutes of silence is something that you have so built into your life that it's grown into an hour and 30 minutes. And that's, you know what, if that's the way that it is, praise the Lord, that's, that's cool. But if you're here this morning and God has just kind of brought you back to where you once were, or maybe allowed you to see where you've never been. Why don't you just spend just a moment right now talking to God about what He's talked to you about. And Lord, we just want to thank You together right now that You have allowed us the glorious privilege of fellowshipping with You That desire that is in your heart is it is it is so difficult for us to comprehend that because we know who we are. But oh God, I pray you just bring it to our hearts afresh and anew and help us to see what is in your heart for us. And Lord, may that motivate us to want to be with you. Oh, you are so incredible. I, it's just so hard to fathom that you'd love us like that. And oh God, help us not to kick into a gear around here where we're just going through the motions and, and the machinery of ministry and, and, and cranking out things that you're not fueling. So help us, Lord, to find that 30 minutes of silence at your throne in heaven where we fellowship and commune with you. Would you change us this week? We pray for our Bible conference that will begin tonight with Jeff. We pray 
Lord, that as he is traveling even now to, uh, to get here, we pray that you would just fill him with your spirit and exactly what we need for this week. We pray that our lives would be forever changed as a result of this, this conference this week. And I pray very specifically now for our guests who are here this morning and have never received Jesus Christ. And I pray that this would be the day that they would respond to your invitation. I pray you'd give them the courage to talk to, to one of our pastors or maybe the person who brought them this morning. I pray that this would be the day that they know the, the incredible joy and privilege of fellowshipping with you through the blood of Jesus Christ. So Lord, do your work in our midst now, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen.